Welcome, everyone, to episode 15 of the Cassandra Properties Podcast. I am joined today by a dear friend, an absolute wonderful steward for the community, Reverend Dr. Demetrius Carolina. He's the executive director of the Central Family Life Center. How are we doing today? Excellent, James. Thank you for having me on board. Of course. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming. It's always good to get together. I know things are crazy busy right now. That is correct. Right? Everyone's out head down, hustling, moving, it's wild times. And surviving. And surviving. Absolutely. Uh, well good. said. So um, we always like to give the audience some context. We get a lot of feedback uh, about uh, being able to learn a little bit more about the history and, and what makes the guest the guest. And, you've, uh, and we'll get into how we came to know each other and uh, my wonderful experiences with you uh, one of the most genuine people I've ever dealt with, and I mean that from my heart. We've, we've enjoyed a, a nice relationship over the years. So why don't we go back to the beginnings, as we often do. Uh, you're not originally from, from Staten Island, correct? That is correct. I was born in Harlem, Manhattan, New York. Harlem? Sort of meandered my way to Staten Island. So you are born and you're in Harlem up until what? I was in Harlem until a roughly mid-school age. Okay. And I moved to transition to South Jersey, Atco, West Atco, New Jersey. Graduated from Edgewood High School, Edgewood Regional High School, now it's called Winslow Township <laughs> High School in New Jersey, South Jersey in particular. It was raised around horses and pigs and, and cows. And Is that right? Lambs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We it was great, and my summers were spent in South Carolina, Orangeburg, South Carolina. So do you enjoy animals, and do you enjoy? I enjoy anything that is outdoors, that is, you know, nature, natural, country, real food, all those things. So, so I was raised. I would love for you, either with the family or if you wanted to do something with the program, I have a farm up in PA, up in Honesdale, and... Uh, We've got cows and pigs and chickens and goats and all sorts of neat things going on. And it's uh, for people that don't have experience with it, uh, it's pretty wild, the reaction. You know, people don't take me as a, I guess, a farmer or the farmer type. But there is something um, really remarkable about the animals and how they interact with their environment and how, you know, I don't want to get too biblical too quick here, but that's where I saw God, if you will, uh, for the first time very clearly was how nature is just so perfect. We learn a lot from animals, right? We do. Human beings are the only thing that God created with free will we are free moral agents but animals live based on need necessity yeah. right they yep. don't kill just to kill you know they don't take just to take animals do what they do out of uh, out of need yep and it's important as human beings we go back to our roots you know and that is the land everything that we need for health mind body and spirit can come from the land amen even even drugs I often say our medicine is what we eat, our food. The synthetic stuff is not necessarily the best stuff, but nat natural stuff is what's best. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, my, my dad, who has been battling cancer for 
for years now, um, always says that he believes that there is everything we need in the rainforests and in, in the earth, and it's all out there. That's great. Um, you know, and he had gone back and forth with different treatment types and uh, had a really tough go of it and came across uh, immunotherapy, which essentially just takes, this is a very basic explanation of it, but from what I understand, it basically just removes a protein from the cancer cell that allows the body to do the work. And once you, because cancer masks itself in that way, and it keeps the body from fighting it. So once you remove that, you know, disguise and you take it out and into the open, the body goes to work and it hits it. And, uh, you know, it's a remarkable story for him. Yeah, he continues to battle, but it's been really unbelievable. This is now going on four or five years. And uh, when we first got the diagnosis, it, it was it was tough. Sure, sure. And we had some rough runs with different treatments, but the good folks over at Sloan um, have done an amazing job. So, you know, to that end, it's, it's remarkable how fast and far we kind of moved out of what was for thousands of years, how we survived as humans, right? And particularly over the last 30 or 40 years, our foods have changed so fast. Well, understand not just foods, the environment, yeah. right? And cancer in and of itself is not necessarily a, a, a starts off as a bad thing. It's just your body actually trying to fight it, things within it. Yep. Right? In some cases, in other cases, it's a matter of cells reproducing at a, at a rate that is alarming to the rest of the body that can become harmful. Yep. So, again, the way in which we fight that is not just through what we take into our body, but also what comes out of our bodies, yep. right? So sometimes it's very good to sweat. People don't understand the importance of sweating, yep. right? <clears throat> Releasing toxins from the body. Yep. Meditation is an essential part of one's health, mind, body, and spirit, right? You meditate? Absolutely. How often? I meditate every single day. Really? Sometimes several times a day. It depends on what's going on and what I'm dealing with. But every morning I have my own meditative regiment and many spiritual people do this on a regular it becomes a part of who you are it's not necessarily a regiment it's just what you do yeah, you right. know certainly to start my day i center i tend to center myself so as to allow myself to hear to take in what happened yesterday to hear and to prepare for an agenda as it, as it were for the day and even if that agenda changes at least i have a platform or a foundation for which to spring forward and deal with the challenges because everybody's day is different every day. So as ordinary as putting on your clothes, this Absolutely. is just part of, of what you do. Absolutely. Part of <clears throat> who I am. So if I may ask, this is something that I haven't, I've tried it on a superficial level. I really haven't um, made a, a serious commitment to it, but I've heard this now over and over and over um, as part, as we, we get older, we start to pay more attention to our health and, Absolutely. you know, um, things that we got away with when we were younger, we can't necessarily get away with anymore. Um, you, you knew me years ago, I was much, much heavier and I changed the diet and I tried to get away from as many, you know, GMO products and as many things that God didn't put in his original form right on the earth. 
And that had a profound impact on my weight and my mental acuity and my overall disposition. It impacted me far more profoundly than I ever thought that it would. And it was uh, Dr. Piazza down over on Forest Avenue who turned me on to this. And at first I was like, eh, I'll give it a shot, sure. And, and it was such a profound change for me. Um, I'm always looking now for ways to be more rounded, if you will. So if I may ask, how does one if, if start you know, getting serious. Did you read books or is this, you know, is there people that you speak to about how do you get into a regimen for meditation? How do you learn how to do it? So my background deals with healthcare, healthcare uh, disparities. That's my dissertation deals with healthcare disparities amongst men of the diaspora and how these healthcare disparities affect their healthcare choices. I've taught at maybe four universities from different health regiments Meditation is something as simple. It can start something as simple as just listening to yourself breathe. Listening to your inner self. Breathe in and breathe out. Right? You can start it that way mm-hmm. and continue to get deeper in your breathing. Because what happens is we tend to do, breathe shallow, shallow unless we are focused and conscious on our breathing. And it can start as slow as 10 minutes a day, but being conscious. And sometimes I tell people to start by putting their hands over their ears, right? So that you can hear your internal breathing. Yep. And the deeper you breathe tends to be the longer you breathe in and the longer you breathe out. That is just a matter uh, or a type of concentration, if you will, in meditation is that. Once you center yourself, and by centering yourself, people mean different things when they use the word centering. Yep. But centering can simply mean for a novice or someone starting, once you become conscious of the fact that you are conscious of your breathing, could happen in a couple of weeks, could happen in a couple of months, then you can start to think about other things that may distract you, cause angst or anxiety in your life, and meditate on those things or how you overcome those things. Another way of meditation earlier on I suggest to people is think about something that makes you happy or peaceful. As you're breathing, you're now meditating on those happy and peaceful thoughts. And what what occurs is metabolically changes occur, right? Certain enzymes begin to flow in your body. Certain melatonins begin to, to exchange in your body. Your synapses start to change. This is... Although it is mental, it is also metaphysical, right? And it can certainly transfer throughout your body. And then as you're breathing, you can think about, um, like, uh, for example, a massaging feeling from the bottom of your feet. Just think about that and let it flow up to your ankles and from your ankles to your knees and from your knees to your thighs, from your thighs to your stomach. And you start to feel all of those tensions because most of us experience tension in our gut, Yep. right? And then upwards and upwards to your chest, all the way out through your head, through your hands and your head. That's a type of wonderful meditative technique that can start earlier on, right? And then back to the whole idea of losing weight. Everything is truly in your gut. Yep. The bowel really controls the body. Immune system. Absolutely. Yep. All of that immune, your immune system and all of that comes from your gut. Yep. So once we start meditating and being conscious of that, 
then we can make other types of choices. And I tell everyone, when you start a regiment, you never start it to, to not be successful. Start with small steps. Right. Because the more successful you are, the more likely you are to continue it and add to it. Right. It is a process. It becomes a part of who you are. And lastly, when people do something at least 24 days in a row, it's more likely to become a part of who they are. It mm -hmm. becomes a part of your subconscious. Mm -hmm. You want to initially start in the conscious mind, but make it a part of who you are so that it means you're just doing it in a subconscious way. It's really remarkable, um, and I think relevant today more than ever. People are not present mm. ever. I'm guilty. You know, I'm number one yes, for, for that, right? Where we have so many things happening that it's very difficult to, to remain present. Mm -hmm. And I would think that this, the meditation, is the ultimate sense of being present, right? And to... To have the mind have that impact uh, on the rest of the body, and I've gotten really way off on one of my you know well-known tangents now, but we went from a farm to, to meditating, but point being that there are signs out there and there are things that if you observe Mother Nature, you, you, you're in awe. I mean, you think, good Lord, somebody had to have a plan for all of the symbiotic relationships and all of the things that go on in this world couldn't possibly be <laughs> these things just, you know, by just happenstance, happens. right? Pretty remarkable stuff. So let's get back to um, the farm. So you're South Jersey spending some time in the Carolinas. Where does life take you then? Well, I, uh, I was, interestingly enough, a licensed as a minister at the age of 16. Wow. Yeah, Mount Zion Baptist Church, Atco, New Jersey, West Atco, New Jersey. And so as a high schooler, I... Uh, would be selected uh, to do a lot of things that I guess most kids my age wouldn't do. Sure. And uh, I remember even at graduation, interestingly enough, I had a, a math class that I didn't fare so well in, and that's my was my first experience dealing with um, what, what one would call unfairness, but yet it turned out to be one of the best things that happened. I, I was a point uh, below graduating and I did some extra work and did everything that the teacher asked me to do and came back to class and he, he helped me up. It was graduation day, actually. And interestingly enough, I was selected by the superintendent, by the principal and all that to be a part of the graduation ceremony that I was supposed to be in. Mm -hmm. And he says, nope, you didn't pass. You, you missed it by one point. So I was in the graduation on the stage uh, participated, did the prayer, the invocation, even spoke, and did not, was not allowed to walk in graduation. You're so kidding I, me. I kid you not. I went to summer school. Of course, I got an A. I got my high school diploma and all of that good stuff. And so two years later, I went straight to school right after that. Two years later, um, I was substitute teaching in the same building. And uh and that was a summer, during the summer, close to the summer, it got hot. And the same teacher came into the, knocked on the door where I was in with a smaller group doing what I do. And he says, it's hot in this building. There's only AC in your, in your room. Can I, can I get in here? And I said to him, how are you? I'm not going to use his name. Glad to see you. Of course, you can certainly share the room with him. He looked amazed. He turned around. Red face slammed the door and kept going. So that that that's you know 
my start in terms of education. So I went to, I was actually accepted at um, one of the most prestigious institutions in America, uh, but I decided to go, I didn't want to waste my mother's money. I went down to Atlanta, Georgia, to um, Morehouse, and Spelman was across the street, and at the age of 18, 19, I was not mature enough. So I went to Camden County College, got a, an associate's degree, mm -hmm. substitute taught, went back to uh, what's now called Stockton University, was at the time Richard Stockton College in Pomona, New Jersey, and received my bachelor's degree. I had a double major, even undergraduate. It was social science and history major. I, I did the theses and actually spoke, uh, uh, defended my, my work before a panel. I uh, taught at Atlantic City High School my student teaching, they offered me a job, but I didn't take the job because Camden County College offered me a job too. So I went straight into the post-secondary uh, career at Camden County College, became a student uh, coordinator, then became associate dean at the urban campus, which is in Camden, New Jersey. It was the fifth poorest city in the nation at the time. Yep. We built an $8 million campus in the city wow. of Camden. and one of my mentors, Demary Abiomi, and I always tell people if you if you want to look up that name is is his legal name is Donald Council. He changed it to Demary Abiomi. He was a Pan Africanist. Um, he was very very close friends um, with Bill Cosby. As a matter of fact, he was a roommate with Bill Cosby in Temple University. Mm -hmm. And so that episode that everybody knows when Bill ran the track with uh, all those seniors mm -hmm. he was the gentleman with the dreadlocks. <laughs> that was my boss, yeah. you know, and and still is my mentor. In his 80s now. And after that, I went to Temple University. I got my master's degree in education uh, in administration. I was also at Westminster Theological Seminary, also at Philadelphia College of the Bible. And then eventually I went to um, uh, New York University, NYU. I worked on my doctorate degree. NYU was interesting. I was dean of students at Berkeley at the same time I was at NYU. And uh, I was almost every class that I was in, I would wind up teaching classes because very few people were actually uh, what we call um, academic practica practicals, right? I, I was actually practicing what I was doing in class. Mm -hmm. So many of those classes I was teaching, but I couldn't get an internship. So I left NYU, went to University of Phoenix, and I finished up there with my doctorate in educational administration, right? So I was a scholarly, a scholarly practitioner. Wow. Right? Finished there, dean of students, was pastor at Tridestone Baptist Church in the Bronx, and I was on the board of MBD, Mid-Bronx Desperados. Uh, the executive director left. I wound up becoming the executive director for a number of years, and we built a $150 million shopping center as a nonprofit. You still see it on a Cross Bronx Express. You're kidding me. I kid you not. And that were long nights. I'm telling you, I learned a lot in terms of community development, in mm -hmm. terms of politics, in terms of economic oh, development, yeah. in terms of disparities, all of those wonderful uh, realities. Um, then I transitioned. I, I, I met uh, my predecessor, Reverend Dr. What well, now is Bishop Calvin Rice, who's a phenomenal leader. Yep. We were friends at a, a citywide uh, ecumenical uh, organization and a Baptist conference, the New York City Baptist Ministers Conference. Mm -hmm. He asked me to come to Staten Island, and I did. I uh, spoke at the First Central Church, had no intention at all about coming to Staten Island. All I knew about Staten Island was the expressway. Yeah. You know, as so many people 
that's the the limit of their experience exactly right to pace place they pass through yeah and before you knew it um then maybe two years later I came to Staten Island, and, and the rest is history. I've been here now 16 years. 16 years. Yeah. Now, you said you uh, got licensed as a pastor at the age of 16. Well, licensed as a minister. A, a minister. Bap- yeah, Baptist uh, denomination and dogma, we have license. And the license simply allows you to practice what you believe God has called you to do in terms of ministry. But once you have done that in an effective meaningful way in order to do other things like to marry people to baptize people to offer up sacraments to start a church or to run a church one needs to be ordained i was the second youngest minister in south jersey at the time to be ordained uh, through this wonderful south jersey ministers council so that's that's pretty remarkable you know i i was there an event or was it a series of events? How, how at 16 do you feel or, or find that calling and know, or did you know that that's where you wanted to be in life? You know, I figure like I'm just starting to figure things out like now. I'm 45, you know, I'm starting to get a little bit of a handle on what I want to be when I grow up. How, how at 16 are you having such a profound impact? I mean, how does that happen? Well, most persons who our spiritual leaders will tell you that there is an internal voice that speaks and all we all have it yep we all don't necessarily hear it but we all have it and at certain times in one's life that voice speaks louder than does other voices yep and so at 16 i had a very very loud epiphany if you will and went to my pastor at the time and says i've i've just been waiting i i knew this was happening but a lot of people affirmed that calling in me from a very early age. And so that, that was a catalyst, I believe, to me hearing this internal voice. But the ordination was quite different in that uh, to be ordained in my denomination, one has to be uh, trained. There's a process in which you go through. There are questionings. And at the time, I don't know if they do it this, mu- uh, this way as much today, but there is both a private and a public questioning because if you're going to be a leader in the Baptist denomination, you have to demonstrate publicly your affirmation and your ability and your fidelity to this leadership role, mm. right? And so I had about 350 pastors present at my ordination, and the questioning took about two and a half hours. Wow. Publicly, that is. And then there's a ceremony after that and all of that. And then there's also a written uh, test that one takes after studying articles of faith and various Baptist dogma and things of that nature. That's remarkable. You know, I, I've I've only come probably in the last ten years to recognize this voice um, and and accept that you know it's not anything other than what it is, mm-hmm. um, and it's become more profound for me as as I've gotten a little bit older. Uh, but I, to think at that age, at, at 16 years old, to hear a calling and to step up to the plate and actually move forward with something like that at that age, to me, that's, you know, I couldn't find my backside in the closet at 16. Well, no 16-year-old can, but, you know, you, you think about many people that we read about. Yeah. All of them have to have had some type of internal experience that drove them to wherever it is that they 
were and able to accomplish in life. And I, I believe I have a lot more to do. Yeah. But that was just my experience at an early age. Remarkable. So you end up out here on Staten Island. You spoke um, at the Central Family Life Center. And one thing leads to another. We actually met way, way in the beginning, right? That is correct. You were looking at real estate, I remember. That is correct. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy's got it together. <laughs> you know, you, you had, well, you, you were looking for real estate and you had a pretty, you had profound insights into real estate. And I come across a lot of people all day in all walks of life. And um, it's not often that I'm struck that someone has the insights that you did then. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay, mental note, uh, fast forward a couple of years and we got involved in some community work together, um, which you have done an absolute beautiful job in the community. And I want to talk about some of those, uh, those programs, but I just wanted to give the audience a little context about our relationship. So uh, Dr. Carolina has uh, recently had a birthday and we know this because I spent a birthday with him for legitimately 10, 12 hours. That is correct. Right? So we were working on a project and uh, trying to advocate for more local jobs. And we had uh, go to testify at City Hall uh, with some wonderful men and women from the community. Hundreds of men and women correct. showed up. Uh, to testify, and um, you sat there. I was a little younger and had more hair. Yeah, <laughs> we all did, right? <laughs> you sat there for 10 or 12 hours on your birthday um, listening to testimony after testimony after testimony because it was important to the community that your voice be heard, and you blew your birthday, and I'll never forget that. You sat there all day into the night until it was your turn to get up and speak. And um, that was another thing that just sat with me as this guy's a real, real deal. He's the, you know, the real McCoy. I appreciate that, James. Listen, oh, I appreciate you. No better way to celebrate your birthday than really helping somebody else, right? I yeah. mean, that's what it's all about at the end of the day, really. That's a beautiful perspective. I'm not sure how many people would share that yeah. sentiment, but it's a beautiful perspective. This year, I was blessed to celebrate my birthday and take my mother to the doctors <laughs> in the morning, which was beautiful because we enjoyed each other. We laughed. We talked. She got a great report. She's also battling cancer. She got a great report, and then we had lunch together, and we laughed. It was a beautiful day. And that evening, I celebrated with the rest of my family. So, and, and I got to see, my, of course, my daughter, who's living with my mother, who is a senior in college, mm. Rowan University. Yay. Wow. So that, it was a great day. But it, it seems to be the, the pattern for me. My birthdays <laughs> are usually spent doing something. I don't know. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about the Central Family Life Center and the role of non-for-profits in the community. And, and you know, today is a, a, it's a new day. There's a lot of, of different factors out there that you have to account for when you're responsible for a congregation the size of, of yours. You've got a lot of things happening. So to walk, walk the audience through um, really some of the core programs now that you're working on because they're really remarkable. Sure. The Central Family Life Center is a full-service nonprofit uh, on the North Shore of Staten Island. Um, we have approximately 17 different programs that we run, wow. we manage, and we run. Uh, one of the uh, cornerstone programs is our Cure Violence Initiative, the 
uh, crisis CMS, uh, crisis management system, mayor's crisis management system, has cure violence initiative uh, in every borough in New York City, and we are uh, the nonprofit that runs the cure violence initiative in Staten Island. We have formerly incarcerated men and women who may have previously enacted some uh, act of violence that got them in, that caused them to be imprisoned or incarcerated, who've changed their lives around. They are called credible messengers. These men and women go back into those same communities for which they previously perpetrated acts of violence okay. and now tame those same behaviors. They, they actually change norms and trends in those communities. We celebrated over 1,000 days of no shootings or stabbings in what was formerly the most violent community in Staten Island that was wow. on the North Shore, and that was in Stapleton. And we amassed so, so much success that we um, that program grew, and we have a state-funded program called SNUG. SNUG is guns, spelled backwards, of course, and that's in Mariner's Harbor area. I want to give a shout-out to our state senator, Diane Savino, mm -hmm. and Charles Fall, mm -hmm. uh, our assembly person, for their support in that program. Wonderful leaders. Absolutely. And I want to certainly thank our city council person, Debbie Rose, for whom this never would have started. Yep. Uh, for her great, great insight and trust in the Central Family Life Center for uh, running this particular program. We have a Youth Build program, which is really an international program, but it's more or less a national program for young people who are high schoolers who don't fare well in the traditional learning environment. And so we uh, allow them through DOE teachers to get their high school equivalency or GED and then go into some of the trades. Some of them graduate and go into college as well. We've been able through that program to graduate well, close to 100 students at this juncture. And some of whom, you know, the saying with youth build is once you're youth built, you're always in youth build. So some of them go on to open up businesses and do very, very important things and come back and then mentor some of the young people who presently are in the program. That's amazing. It is great. We have uh, uh, mentorship programs. We're in three schools uh, here in Staten Island where we have young men going into schools, mentoring other young men in the schools. And, of course, young men tend to respond differently to men than they do to women. Sure. And the median teacher in the United States is between the ages of 25 and maybe 40 young white females. So you may have a lot of African-American young men who, for whom those teachers don't necessarily view as their own children and mm -hmm. those children don't view them as their parents. Yep. And so this is a wonderful way in which to mesh, mesh that. One of the reasons why I fought so hard for the Eagle Academy to be on Staten Island was for that reason. The Eagle Academy does not cherry pick. They have all of the same children that any other public schools have, but they have a 99.9% .9 success rate in graduating all of their young people wow. and of them 90-something percent of those go on to four-year colleges and universities. So I'm so proud. Uh, uh, Principal Cameron, Jermaine Cameron, is doing a phenomenal job with the Eagle Academy here in Staten Island, the last Eagle in New York City. Matter of fact, they skipped Staten Island, went to New Jersey, to Newark, and I fought for them to come back. Yeah, of course they did. So, yeah. Of course you did. Yeah, and David Banks is, is a great friend of Staten Island, and he really runs – for the most part, that whole Eagle um, uh, Academy, uh, wonderful, wonderful organization, and I thank God for him. We have uh, we have uh, health fairs on a regular basis, and we mm -hmm. partner 
with both Rumsey and Staten Island University Hospital for many of these programs. We do uh, annual uh, Staten Island Black History Town Hall meeting where we bring all types of groups together. And I'm very proud of that because it's really all groups come together yeah. to celebrate the history of African-Americans. And it is great. I mean, Wagner College, Wagner College comes, and boy, it's beautiful to see that choral sing. It's just a really, really good uh, collaborative work. So that's really been the crux of what I've done for 16 years in Staten Island is really collaboration. Yep. You know, it's amazing. Uh, folks can live maybe two blocks from each other, but be uh, uh, worlds apart. Absolutely. And it takes just a little bit to, to realize all people want the same thing. Yep. You know, everybody wants uh, a, a clean place to live, opportunities, education, food, shelter. I mean, this, these are the things that all people want. Yep. So to bridge that gap, believe it or not, does not take a lot. You, we were talking a little earlier. It's about dialogue, being willing to at least have a conversation. Even if we disagree, yeah. we can agree to disagree and move on. I think there are many more things that we have in common than we differ so that's just some of the things that the center does. So, you know... Matter of fact, I don't mean to interrupt, but you are a strategic part. Cassandra was a phenomenal part last year mm -hmm. in our Christmas event that we do every year called Room in the Inn. Yep. Instead of no room, there's yep. room in the inn. That's right. And you all brought a phenomenal gift that allowed us... We, we serviced last year upwards of 700 families. Amazing. During Christmas. That was an um, amazing event. When we went down, um, it's hard to not get emotional to yeah. see the love and to see how you've brought these families together. It's, it's really, it is a remarkable thing to experience. So all the credit to you and the amazing work that you do down there. Well, to us, because without partners such as you, this is impossible to do. Right. No one person can do this. This is really in, in, in no stretch. This is a partnership. It really is about collaboration. Well, and we we do have uh, on here on Staten Island. We've been blessed in that uh, when it comes to the community events and the engagement, we do have an elected delegation that is very dialed in, very connected, very responsive. So it does help. Um, for all the things people say about Staten Island, um, any elected official, literally every one of them is a phone call away. They, they all have an open ear and they all have their own passion for Staten Island. Uh, we've been very, very blessed in that way. Absolutely. We have really, um, you know, homers, if you will, in our delegation. And that's not always the case, believe it or not. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. Well, you, I'm sure you've had experience in different places, but uh, that's one thing here in Staten Island you have to say uh, has really been a blessing for us. So today, you know, above any time, at least in, in my adult life, it seems like the communication and the connectivity <clears throat> that you're talking about is, is being lost. So how, how do we as leaders in the community, in our own respective ways, help. What, what do we do? I'm, I'm finding the, myself lost, this honestly. Is, this is the $80 billion question yeah. <laughs> in many ways, right? Yeah. Leaders are people. And some, as people, we can lose sight of the mission from time to time. One of the principal ways in which I find uh, a way in which to 
maintain this north star, this this compass, uh, especially with collaboration amongst other leaders, is to make certain that we all share the agenda, the mission. Even if we disagree, we can all agree on the mission. Now, how we get there, the methodologies may change, but the goal is the same. And when you at least have that shared mission, you can always have dialogue to bring persons back to that central core of what it is we have to do. If it is really about people, then we can always work a way around what we disagree about to get back to the central theme of what it is that we do, right? And I often say to people, you don't have to like someone to love them. Right. <laughs> we all have people that we love that we don't like. Yep. And if you're in any kind of relationship, if it is a healthy one, you can even have that dialogue. I don't like you today. Yeah. I love you, but today I don't like you. Yep. But that's family, right? At the end of the day, when people look at people as people, then we can look at each other as family. And families, you know, they don't always agree. They don't always get along, but we're family at the end of the day. Even if I have to deal with you only on those special days of the year, <laughs> we're still family, <laughs> yeah. right? And we, 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 we move on from that. You know, that's not something that we can necessarily change. So human beings are human beings. I started by saying I'm not a Staten Islander. I, I had no thoughts about coming to Staten Island. I had no clue that I would ever wind up in Staten Island. But there was in the cosmos a path for me to be here. And while I'm here, I promise my, my, my wonderful uh, power which I call God, mm -hmm. a couple of angels, and some folks that I cater to that I'm going to do the best I can do while I'm here for them. Now, that for me makes life worth living, right? That's, I think, how we really cause and maintain some sustainability in moving forward as, as, as leaders, right? So... I use the example, I used this example once before, you know, it feels like we're in a place where, you know, we're talking about uh, everyone has to share the mission or share the agenda. And that sounds simple, mm -hmm. but we're, we're in a world where I was thinking it was, I was on with Sandy Kruger and we were talking about, uh, he's the uh, executive director of uh, Cybor for the, the realtors in Staten Island, talking about um, there's now, you know, a lot of people who are out of work and there's opportunity to, you know, maybe do something special out here with some of the land that that's been zoned inappropriately over the years. And perhaps we can, you know, get something together where Staten Island can emerge as a leader in the alternate energy space, mm -hmm. right? We have the workforce available. We have the land available. We have the time now available to start contemplating these things. Perhaps that's you know, something that we can get behind. And, and the discussion evolved into global warming, mm -hmm. right? So I'm using this as an example because I feel like uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a path of how do we start bridging these gaps? We're doing this podcast. We did all of this because we wanted people to start to communicate more. This was a platform for people to come and to communicate to the people out here in Staten Island and all over the world, quite honestly. So you, we, we started talking about global warming and inevitably it becomes, do you believe it? Do you not believe it? Is there science on this side? Is there science on that side? How do we move past? It doesn't matter if, it, if it's, there's science supporting it or there's science not supporting it. 
It shouldn't make a difference. We should want to be better stewards of the damn planet, right? Either way, it shouldn't make a difference. So how do we cut the this vitriolic level of, of anger and, and frustration and, you know, this constant sense of, of this unbearable stress that's on everybody and get past the what side of the fence you're on and just get down to, like you said, we're all people. We all share the same basic needs. We want a roof over our head. We want to be able to eat. And not everybody has those basic needs. And because we're so caught up in fighting about things that we don't have to be, all of those basic needs get overlooked for a lot of people. And the, the politics get in the way of it and the passion gets in the way of it. And another day comes off the calendar and days turn into weeks, weeks to months, months to years, and things don't change. I totally agree with you. I, I tend to think that besides ourself, our own sense of self-interest, self-worth, most people can sort of think beyond themselves when you refer to their children and their children's children, right? Um, everyone who has children want to leave something for them. Mm -hmm. They want them to be better off than they were. Yeah. And I think that that's a way, at least one of many ways in which we can sort of jump over that hurdle of the politics of whatever the issue may be, global warming or, or what, what have you. What are we going to leave for our children? How can we make this place better for them? And we are simply stewards. Someone had this prior to us. In fact, we're just one of those spokes in the wheel. Yep. And so ours, this is our time, and this is our time to do the best we can do with what we have. The other part to that is actually related to that, and this is where my, 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 my other hat comes in, and that is the idea of uh, mortality. No man is going to be here forever. Right. We, we all are more than what we see. We're not just mind. We're not just body but we're also a soul, a spirit. And I often say this, if you feed your mind and you forget about your body, you may be smart, but you'll be weak. Mm -hmm. If you take care of your body and your mind and forget about your soul, you may be smart and strong, but there's something longing. There's an emptiness there yep. that needs to be filled because at the end of the day, especially the older we get, we start to realize there is something beyond what we can simply see, taste, and touch. Yep. Right? So sometimes we have to appeal to that the bigger angels in us all, and that is that spirit, that, that sense of what is really right. And one does not need to go to seminary to know that there is right and there is wrong and that humans are humans. And then the last thing to that I would say is, once we, hurt, you know, kind of kind of deal with those two things, we can go back a little bit and deal with some of the trauma that we as a nation experienced. Absolutely. And never really dealt with and had a willingness because no one overcomes trauma without dealing with it. At one level or another, you have to sort of deal with it. And I know people tend to like to just dismiss it. I, that, that was a different time. That sure. wasn't me. I had nothing to do with that. We all 
have to do with we have all have to, to own do it with that yes. right we all have to own it's it part of our consciousness it's it's part of uh of of some of the great things about this country and the not so great things about this country and there's plenty on both sides of the ledger of course. right so um you, the problem is that you what you have folks who feel uh on one side of the fence you know I, like you just said, I wasn't a part of that. It, it didn't pertain to me. And I've got my own issues. And that's relevant, right? Absolutely. It, it's it's if for that individual, those needs, we don't know what their situation is. Those needs have to be tended to. But there's also this, you know, the, the whole other side of the, the, the fence here. Where, Historic consequences. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, you, you take a look at um, the community and how do you, fix the disparity because it's a very clear disparity, right? There's not, yes, everybody has opportunity in this country. I love this country. This is a, to me, it's the best country in the world. And we have opportunities that people dream about. That's why so many folks want to come and be a part of America. But there are inequities, inherent inequities that you, you feel like can be addressed, right? It's, it's a, Someone had used an analogy. It's it's if we're all running a hundred yard dash, some of us are starting at the eighty yard line, and some of us are starting at the hundred and twenty yard mark, right? So how do you address the gap um, in a country that's got a preponderance of resources? So let's start by simply saying we've made some major strides as a as a as a nation in the twentieth century, and now in the the earlier part of the 21st century, some yep. major strides. Yep. And that did not come about easily. Right. There has to be a willingness to both sacrifice and not be the hero of the day. Because most of these people we tout as heroes today in their lifetime were vilified. Right. Vilified. Yep. Right? So, so you know, leading is not just when it's comfortable. That's right. right. <laughs> An effective leader is a leader even when things aren't so 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 comfortable especially when things aren't so comfortable especially right right it's almost like the whole adage about love love is not that pretty shiny thing love is really an ugly thing yeah. because it has to tolerate <laughs> all of the disparities right yep it has to tolerate all of the ugliness and still stay strong right so that that is i think part and parcel of the of the answer it cannot be a simple quick fix it is a very convoluted uh, complex reality with willing participants yeah. and sometimes unwilling participants, right? But at least back to that whole goal. What is the goal? If we can agree on the mission, the ultimate goal can be reached. But, you know, we are free moral agents. The only thing that God made back, we have a wonderful cyclical conversation back to the idea of these animals, right? The only thing God made with that's a free moral agent, we have choice is man. So until man decides, and it doesn't have to take the whole of humanity, but a, a good number of folks working together, it can, it can happen. I tell people all the time, when they, when they point to these communities and, and who are often victims, and they point to them as the perpetrators, I say, historically in this nation, this group of people have risen up. They, they've built communities. They've mm -hmm. had great economic success at Black Wall Street. I mean, we can name a Rosewood on and on and on. But systematically, those accomplishments were destroyed because of fear. People were afraid because of other people being successful. Yep. 
the conversation has to be larger. It has to be, I am not afraid of your success. As a matter of fact, your success heightens my success because there is truly enough for everyone. There is. There is a, a, a horrible monster that keeps that from happening, and it's greed yep. and ignorance. Yep. Right? So, again, these conversations can be had, but there must be a willingness to both exchange. Even when we are at the point of disagreement, it's okay. Just hear me out, you know? Then let's see where we go. And also, let's keep this goal in mind. Because if we sit at the table together, there must be a goal. Right. If, if nothing other than to hear each other. Yep. It's got to be a goal. Well, you know, how do we get people to the table? Because I feel like what's happening now is people are, are walking around the table. They're running past the table. But, but there's, people aren't bellying up to the table, right? The, but this is a, a wonderful way in which to get people to the table, literally and, and otherwise, right? And uh, getting it out there because people have to understand that they can come with their opinions and not be ostracized. They can come with their opinions and not be vilified, right? They can come with their opinions and their thoughts and can be heard. We're not going to agree with everything, but we will, we will at least hear you. But I'm suggesting that the, ad, the added part to that is we should be very transparent with the goal because people don't come to the table often because there have been so many hidden agendas, yep. you know, that people have that uh, circumvent uh, the, the willingness of others to sort of come out and say what they want to say. I mean, I've been to so many meetings with the board president, for example, mm -hmm. who I think has done a yeoman's job at bringing various groups together. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they come kicking and screaming, but they, they at least come to the table. And I, I've enjoyed uh, being at those tables to hear what I agree with and what I sometimes dis disagree with. Sure. But at least there's a seat at the table. You know, that is key. And I will also say, how do we get people at the table? Those who have the table, open it. Now, yeah. how that occurs, I don't know, because that depends on the person <laughs> whose table it is that we're referring to. But again, I think often out of fear and out of possibly ignorance, and I know that's uh, kind of a tough term, but real nevertheless, um, there tends to be a, 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 a um, hesitation at bringing what's different, and what's, what's not familiar, but it's okay. I mean, baby steps, we'll, we'll get there. We've made great strides in this country, and I'm certainly not an apologist for uh, all of the inequities that are occurring now, but there's opportunities. There are major institutions in Staten Island that can be hubs for this. Uh, our healthcare institutions, for one. Yep. Everybody needs a doctor. Everybody needs a, I am close friends with uh, the former vice president of Staten Island University Hospital, James Powell. Mr. Powell has a story to tell. I mean, this guy's 81 years of age, and he mm. came from the South where he couldn't use the same bathrooms and uh, you know, animals on the farm were treated better than he was. Unbelievable. But he has a love for people that's unmatched by anyone that I've met in my adult life. He loves all people. Yep. Genuinely. That's the type of reality that can occur. Yep. Now, he has every reason to be angry and mad and, yes. and obstinate. He is everything but. So 
I mean, if he's 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 also one of my mentors and one of my friends and brothers. And so if he can do it, certainly I think any of us can do it because, you know, when he was born, it was quite different than it is now. Yeah. So progress has happened. And I think I like to be part of continual progress. I can identify problems. We all can. Sure. But I like to be part of that team that deals with some of the solutions. Yeah. Look, anyone can identify problems. And that's part of, I think, what's what's happened here is is everyone is so quick to point out the problem, but. Uh, not nearly as many folks have taken the time to get invested in the solutions. I had uh, a project I worked on once and one of the um, people I answered to in the team, um, it was profound for me at the moment. Uh, you know, he used a, a reference similar to that. Like, Hey, look, I don't need to pay people to give me the list of issues, right? I need to pay people to give me the list of issues and the potential solutions. I think that if people got, um, as invested in genuinely wanting to fix the issues, the, the inequities, the problems that we're facing, and they match the energy um, on both sides, not just in pointing it out, but in also trying to get things resolved, we, we could make some progress. And I think uh, people like the gentleman you mentioned, Mr. Powell, uh, who actually lived through some of these un unimaginable things today. It's it's tough to even wrap your head around that it was such a, a recent past that these things existed. Um, for someone like that to to be at the table, to kind of equalize and say, hey, I was there, I was a part of these things and I'm at the table. Mm -hmm. So if you're at the table, everybody else better get their butts to the table. Well said. Right? Well said, well said. I, I often equate it to my own experience, uh, uh, and I'm not even half his age, but my own experience uh, being in Staten Island running a nonprofit. I mean, I tell anybody, if you can run a nonprofit, you can run any multi-million dollar for-profit because mm -hmm. you got to win the hearts and minds of people. Yep. They have to get behind a vision. You have to answer to a board. You have to answer to all the people that you serve. You have mm -hmm. to answer to wherever your funding sources are coming from. You know, there's so many things and ways in which mess-ups can occur. So... Nobody's perfect, but thank God the mission is what keeps us doing it because you're talking about thankless, <laughs> many, many, many long nights and yep. endless days, uh, but seeing someone benefit is the thanks. Now, everyone's not kind of um, built for that, all right? And then you're under a microscope, so everybody's looking for every oh, yeah. misstep. Everybody's looking for anything that's wrong. Yep. But the reality is the mission has to be at the forefront of what you do or you won't do that for very long because you got so many reasons not to do it that there must be a greater purpose in what you do. Yeah. So is there, uh, maybe we, we're, we're on to something here. Maybe we're, there's things we can talk about and, and maybe we can try and, you know, because my voice has been there's something bigger. There's something Absolutely. bigger that needs to be done. And I, I've struggled to put my finger on what that is, but um, maybe this is the start of something here. And, and I, I, I do appreciate you coming down and, and talking with me because it's, it, it is important that people get back to just this, sitting down and having discussions and vetting out ideas and, and talking through things in a, in a, you know, a manner that's productive, civil, civil, civil. that's civil. it. We can all hear each other, right? You know, we're, we're all here for such a short period of absolutely. time. And absolutely. there's enough things in life that are going to be challenging, right? 
Correct. We, we shouldn't be making this harder than it has to be. Um, and at the end of the day, you want your life to matter. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. We, we can all make money, but it's not, it's got to be about something bigger than that. Absolutely. You know, because when you're gone, somebody's going to say your name and they're going to remember something. Yep. And hopefully what they remember is something good or Amen. some good that you've done be, beyond yourself. Absolutely. Is there anything else you wanted to cover today? Anything else you wanted to talk about at the Central Family Life Center? Just that uh, we are located 59 Wright Street in the heart of Stapleton. A lot of good things are going. We The doors are open on welcome hinges for our entire Staten Island community. We are growing by leaps and bounds. And the goal really is to affect positive change in the lives of all Staten Islanders as much as it is as it is possible. And we'd love to partner. We'd love to collaborate. There's a lot of good going on. I mean, of course, we're living in a realistic world. There's a lot of bad. Matter of fact, one of our biggest programs is because of bad. But look how bad can be turned into good by loving people, by really allowing people to flourish. And so come on, be a part of the organization. Let us be a part of what it is that you all are doing. And together, I mean, we can certainly get a lot more done together than we can divide it. Absolutely. How do people reach out? Uh, well, they, we have a website, like Central Family Life Center. Just you, you can Google us, and our website is there. Beautiful. Uh, also, our number is 718-273-8414. Certainly, email, snail mail, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on by. Well, Reverend Dr. Demetrius Carolina, uh, it's always a pleasure. My pleasure. It's good to see you, and uh, please keep up the amazing work you do in the community. Folks, I've seen the firsthand, and it is absolutely remarkable. So uh, thank you for your time, and I look forward to connecting with you. What a wonderful conversation. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe.